0: guys welcome back to talk story with me Gavin Sugai I'm here with Andrea Topolo who is actually on her third campaign but also this is the third time she's appeared on my show so Andrea thank you for joining us here
1: <laughs> yeah thanks for having me
0: so first off uh, why are you running for City Council I mean a lot of people are asking you you are you gonna run for governor but this is a different spin. You're running for city council. Why are you running for city council?
1: Um, you know, when I ran for governor in 2018, it was one of the most eye-opening experiences I've ever had. I was 37, running for governor for the state of Hawaii, which most people don't do at that age. And I had only been in the legislature for four years, but I started to see how the systemic problems that our state has in small communities was actually happening across the state. So I felt, I felt inspired to step up and inspire other people to run for office because I realized that it couldn't just be me that's trying to make a difference. It has to be a whole group of people that want to bring a new mindset, a new perspective uh, to how we solve problems in Hawaii. And so after the gubernatorial race, you know, I took a break. Of course, I want to run again. And when that happens and how it happens, we shall see. I learned exactly what I need to improve on as far as campaigning goes. And we, me and my team kind of made a plan. Then earlier this year, I was approached about running for the city council seat. Now many people had kind of brought it up, and I was like, you know what? I don't know. I'm not sure. I feel like for me, campaigning is almost like giving birth, where I'm like, oh my gosh, are we gonna do this again? I mean, it took it took the life out of me to run a, a statewide race, and so I had to kind of wrap my head around it. And, you know, two of the things that I really want to get better at um, before I, I prepare to run for governor someday in the future is I want to get better understanding of unions. I want to understand their issues. Um, I want to understand how that whole thing works out, which when you're running for a city council race um, in Honolulu, the unions are very interested. So I had to learn a lot through that. And secondly, I wanted to learn a little bit more about how I could build up my grassroots structure you know, we did very well on the Leeward Coast, on the west side. Are there things I could do better? Sure. I mean, there's always things that can be improved. So I feel like for me, this is a race that I'm excited about because a lot of the issues that I tackled as a legislator were city issues like trash, recycling, crime, pedestrian safety, um, sewers. I mean, I even helped get a permit to clean Ulehava Canal while I was a, a legislator, and that's mm-hmm. that's actually a city function. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm excited to see how... Some of the initiatives I did as a legislator that I can make even a bigger effect as a city council member to help improve for my community.
0: Mm. And you, I like the way you kind of formulated because you were, uh, you were a state representative, you're a house representative, then you ran for governor and now you're running for city council. So everything just kind of lines up, which is, it's awesome. It's a great plan. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about your third campaign. Now like i said you've you've ran for house rep you won that you ran for governor uh great campaign and now you're running for city council so what have you learned over these the course of your uh, your political campaigns
1: so this is my fourth one so i ran for state house in yeah 2014. I got reelected in 2016 Then I ran for governor in 2018 and then now city council. I would say for me, one of the things that I've learned is how to raise money. You know, it's, it's very difficult to run for office. It's very difficult to raise money. It's really hard to ask people, you know, to support you, but there's something, there's something beautiful about it because I feel like it humbles you in a way because you can't just, you can't just get a, a loan. Well, you could get a loan if you wanted to and pay for your whole campaign and then try to pay it back. But there's something amazing about asking people to invest in you. And when I first ran for office, I remember it was so hard for me. I was scared to have like a hundred dollar fundraiser. So prior to that, I was charging like maybe 25 bucks, like chili rice kind. And we were raising money, but maybe not as fast, not as quick. And I remember I talked to one of my friends, this is way back when I first ran for office. And he told me, he said, what's your biggest struggle? I said, raising money. I've never done this. I don't, I don't even know how. He said, well, what, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to have a, you know, like a hundred dollar fundraiser and, but I'm scared. And he said, what are you scared of? I was like, I don't know. I just, I'm not sure if I can do it. He said, well, do people in Hawaii have money? I said, Oh yeah. He said, so it's, (laughs) It's not a it's not a matter of whether or not people have it. I was like, no, no, no. There are people that that have that much money to spend on a fundraiser. He said, Well, do you think you're worth it? I was like, Yes, yes. <laughs> I was like, I think my cause is worth it. And I remember we had a discussion about it because. You know, when you run for office, you really have to believe in what you're doing. And then you have to get other people to believe in it as well. And if you want to invest time and money and everything, like sacrificing uh, time away from your family, then you have to get bold enough and, and get confident enough to ask other people to invest in you. And now that it's been six years of me running for office, I feel like I'm a little more confident to tell people this is the plan. This is how I can affect change. This is what happens when I affect change. And this is why I think you should invest in me and and help my my cause. So I've been very fortunate to have so many different people donate. And I have a very um, you know, diverse uh donor base. Some people are are going five bucks a month, some people are Mm -hmm. going fifteen bucks a month, and then there's others that do one time, but I feel happy about it because for me that signifies what kind of person I am is that I attract, you know, ground level middle class people one-time donors, people who are in my district, people who are out of my district, just people who are hungry for change. And so it's one of the things that I feel like I've gotten better over the years. When I ran for governor, I raised 510000 which for me, that was like, oh my gosh, oh. <laughs> I can't believe I did that. So now I feel like it's a lot easier for me to step into a room and do the ask. And of course, you get turned down sometimes, and then you just keep going.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm all right so let's go back in time for a little bit so you um you earned a bachelor's degree in music education from byu you actually also earned a master's degree in music education as well um and you've taught music education at leeward community college so what kind of impact has music had on your life
1: well it's definitely helped me to be a better listener So when you're a music teacher, you're listening to sounds, you're listening to voices, and you're trying to help those voices go to where they need or project to the people that they need to be heard by. And so I feel like for me, music has helped me to understand that every voice is important, that even if you're alto or soprano or a tenor or a bass, that there's a place for every voice. And as a choir teacher, I love shaping voices. You know, I've encouraged my students to not want to sound like anyone else, but want to find their true sound, their true voice, and then stick to that, which is something that I do in my life. You know, I don't try to sound like other politicians or say other things. I just, I do it the way that I feel like it comes naturally out of me. And that's helped me to be very authentic. It's helped me to just be me. And even though some people feel like that's not very refined or they feel like, you know, that's not that's not the way that normal politicians do it. I think it's okay because I believe that every voice, no matter how it sounds is, is what makes the whole landscape, the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, the whole song come together. So I've found that that's been very interesting because I hold town halls where I just listen and there's angry people and there's passionate people. And then there's like objective people and then there's irritated people. And I don't know. I just, I love them all, to be honest. Like when I, when I walk into a room and there's lots of sound going on, I'm like, ah, oh, like I listen and I try to figure out what's <laughs> happening. Whereas I feel like there's other politicians that as soon as they, they sense contention or they sense that someone's disgruntled, they're scared, they don't want to address it. And for me, when I hear those voices, I'm like, Ooh, what are they saying? How can I resolve mm. this? Cause in music, it's about tension and resolve.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's also about the pitch as well. You can hear the pitch in people's voice and you can, you can convey a different, it conveys a different emotion and they, um, they react to it differently.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of it like that. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Um, so one thing is you, you've talked about on your pages, before you graduated, you went on this one and a half year uh, mission trip to Venezuela. Talk to us about that experience.
1: Well, I was 23 and of course, I may have thought that I knew a lot, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, when you think you've figured it all out. So I was about to graduate from college and I was going to get married and my dad was adamant that I go on a mission and I don't know, I just didn't see any reason why that would be important or why I should do it. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while. There was a lot of experiences that led to me deciding to go. And then I, I found out that I was gonna go to Venezuela, which, my goodness, when I saw it, because they give you a piece of paper, you open it. I saw the name of the country and I thought, mm. where in the world is Venezuela? <laughs> <laughs> what, what do they do there? What do they eat? So I went to a training center where they teach you Spanish. And even when they were teaching me Spanish, because I had gone to school and, and learned Hawaiian when I was a sophomore, junior, and senior at Kumameha. So it was hard for me to think that another language was going to come out of my mouth besides Hawaiian and English. So I started to train, started to learn, started to uh, speak a little better. Then I got to the country. And my goodness, like I've never seen anything like that. Just, I mean, from the onset, when I arrived at Caracas, which is the main capital of Venezuela, it was just chaotic. I mean, people are searching your bags. As you go through the airport, you come out. There's four lanes on the ground, but there's six lanes of traffic. People are running across the highway, holding their children's hand. I was like, wait, what is this craziness? And the Americans who picked us up, they said, oh, this is just normal. I was like, normal, I feel like I'm gonna die. And then we went into Valencia, which Valencia is the first place that I went. And there was a red light. And I remember we were driving like 40 miles an hour towards the red light and I hit the guy driving. I was like, dude, are you gonna stop or what? and he was like what no you just honk and you drive through red lights i was like what we drove through it he honked super loud there was cars flying in front of us and i was like we almost died he said no 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 no. in venezuela all the lights are just suggestions you don't have to stop i was like what so it was like my first introduction to kind of like lawlessness slash there was a lot of unrest in the country because you know Hugo chavez had been giving away free housing free medical free education so There was a huge amount of people that were dependent on the government. And without the government, they didn't really have a skill set. They didn't really have like steady jobs. So all of this stuff to me was new. Like I had never lived in a country that operated like that. And so that experience is kind of what jump-started me in in being more aware of politics.
0: Mm. Do you still practice um, Spanish today?
1: Oh yeah, my brothers, uh, my husband speaks fluent. All my three brothers Mm. speak fluent Spanish too.
0: Wow, that's crazy. So, so besides Hawaiian and Spanish, do you know any other languages besides well, and English as well?
1: well? yeah, we go to we go to church in Samoan, so we can sing in Samoan. We mm. understand a little bit, but my husband's family speaks fluent Tongan, so I think my kids, oh, well, my kids actually went to school in Hawaiian immersion, so they mm. speak Hawaiian fluently. And then I, I, would say right after Hawaiian, probably the next language is maybe Tongan. They're more, I think they're more. Uh, influenced by the Tongan language than any other language because my in-laws are from Tonga so
0: wow oh man trilingual or even more at that point (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing we
1: we love languages we love people I think that it's made uh, me and my husband's relationship very diverse because you know he's full Tongan I'm Samoan Hawaiian but we both speak Spanish and it's made us very uh, open, I guess, to lots of languages, cultures, and people.
0: Mm-hmm. And made you want a lot more uh, relatable with many different cultures. Yes, definitely. Um, so let's switch topics a little bit. Let's talk about um, your community cleanup projects and what you uh, what does what those mean to you. Tell us about that experience.
1: Well, my favorite thing to tell people is that. The people who do cleanups with me, those are my ride or dies. Mm. I mean, these are the kind of volunteers that I I can trust that have expressed, you know, like their willingness to serve the community because cleanups are not glamorous. They're not, you don't, you know, do uh, wonderful things while people praise you. You're literally picking up trash and you're hauling tires and you're looking at dead animals and you're... You're holding your breath because some of the areas you're just like, oh my gosh. And so I feel like for me, cleanups were something that people brought up to me because they were concerned about illegal dumping. But once I went out there, I realized that it was a a very refining way to give service. Meaning like you really have to humble yourself because it's very, very hard, like very difficult. I think my very first cleanup, I may have cried on the road because it was so hard it was so hard i didn't realize how hard it was gonna be i mean there was at least like 300 tires that we had to like throw into the truck and recycle and i don't know Mm. over time i got better at it so over time i was able to work more with trucking companies and then be able to utilize you know machinery instead of us just picking up everything with our hands and it got a lot easier
0: wow crazy 300 tires. Oh my gosh. (laughs)
1: Oh no. To date, like I think we've done 22 cleanups and I think my number is about 12,071 tires that we've recycled.
0: Oh, that's insane. (laughs) Wow. I can't even imagine that. Oh, that's crazy. Um, So another thing you've also done is you've done these series of events during this COVID process called uh, Giving Hawaii Hope. Tell Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, so the Croc Center reached out to me and, you know, during COVID, the main problem that I think people were having was knowing where is the need and what is the need. Because everyone wanted to help, right? People were out of work, people were hungry. So the Kroc Center reached out to me and they said, you know, would you be willing to, to help us understand what the community needs? And I said, oh yeah, for sure. So I did a couple um, social media lives, asking people like what were the things that were needed in the community. And so they were able to kind of wrap their minds around how we could do a, a meal delivery service program. So these are frozen mm-hmm. meals and they're single serving. So it wasn't like a, a family platter or anything. And then I reached out to churches to ask them if they'd be willing to partner. So we were able to, through churches, have them kind of count people in need report to me the numbers and then I was able to work with the croc to prepare those, prep it in the truck and then haul it out to each of the locations. And then from there, they, they distribute it to people one by one to their So it was a lot, it was a lot of coordination. And honestly, I got to just really thank the croc because they were the ones that were able to work with Hawaiian airlines to get a lot of our containers delivered. They worked with metal gold so that we could get a freezer outside of the croc to hold all of the meals after they prepped it. I mean, a lot of what the croc did is what made us possible. I think we ended with 19,000 meals delivered. So it was a really mm-hmm. good experience.
0: Mm-hmm. So how do you find balance with everything? Because you're going for your PhD, you, you did, <laughs> you're, you're campaigning right now. Um, you've done community cleanups. You've, you've done so much for the community how do you find balance in all this uh craziness
1: <laughs> um well you know i i would say i'm still learning so there's still a lot of things that i'm, I'm not completely balanced that mm-hmm. i i i run every morning i know that sounds like oh my gosh one more thing but if i don't work out in the morning i feel like i can't get everything done so i wake up early like this morning i ran at five got it done because my first meeting was at six thirty. So I feel like if I'm able to start off like saying a prayer, running, getting in my physical work, I feel like the rest of my day, it lays out a little bit better. I would also say that a huge, you know, thing that I do is I read a lot of leadership and management books. So if you've ever read First Things First by Stephen Covey, which is a great one, that really helps you to understand that you shouldn't be scheduling your priorities. Like you should be actually making those priorities your schedule. So a lot of people try to just like fit things wherever they happen. Whereas like for me, I try to take my week and plan it in such a way that all the most important things get put in first and then everything gets put last. So I'm not Mm -hmm. perfect at it, but I am somebody who constantly tries to improve and tries to get better at it.
0: Well, I will say you're doing a great job because everything just falls in line pretty well. So <laughs> I can never tell if you're imbalanced. <laughs>
1: Thank
0: you. um, one thing I admire about you is that you're very active in responding to people on social media. And um, there are a lot of politicians out there that have social media managers or they, they don't even go on their social media and respond. They have someone else respond for them. How has transparency helped with connecting you with the community?
1: Well, you know i have i have a lot of followers and you know some people view that as something great which i think it's great however it is a lot of management because to have people follow you in in my mind means that you know you also have that responsibility to interact with them because they they're investing in you right so i feel like even when i was running for governor people were kind of shocked that i was answering questions myself it could be my age i don't know i just feel like it's not hard i feel like sometimes i can do social media like in my sleep um because it's just it's just conversing right you're conversing with people you're listening to people and i don't get easily overwhelmed when people attack me you know i'll give you an example uh yeah, this past weekend i i posted up a picture of me with the union
0: oh, slowing down a little bit <laughs>
1: Comment.
0: I'm sorry, <laughs> you might have to repeat that. I, I lost some. Um, lost some bars is, it, there.
1: is it clear? Sorry, we're driving now. Is it clear or no?
0: No, the, now, now I can. I got you loud and clear.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I was just saying that you know, an example was this past weekend I posted up a picture of me with a union that's supporting me, and the person said ill I can't believe you're a union supporter and you know I could just lash back and say oh I can't believe you would say that but mm. for whatever it's worth I just responded and I said I think it's funny that you think unions support me because I actually only have three <laughs> 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 and, and my opponent has 21 um and mm. I'm okay with that I said but I do find unions that are community so these guys actually, the ones that endorse me, they understand that I'm community driven and so are they. And so I accepted their endorsement and I said, at the end of the day, there's good people everywhere, even in unions. And the person calmed down and he was like, oh, I guess you're right. So I think it's, there's a way of disarming people and of understanding where they're coming from without, without getting angry. Because I feel like everyone just has their perspective, their own belief system. so from my understanding of their comment, I try to figure out where they started from and then start at that spot. So I don't know. I feel sometimes overwhelmed by it and then sometimes I feel a lot of fulfillment when I help someone understand something they didn't previously understand. And because I'm a teacher, I love educating. <laughs> like I love teaching. And so I feel like if my videos are able to clarify something, or if my comment is able to point to a resource, then I feel like I've I've done something good.
0: Mm-hmm. And I totally believe the same thing because you know I've had some. I haven't had as much negative comments as I I feel like I think I should, but maybe very little bit. But you know I'm very transparent with people. I try to answer as much questions as possible. I try to answer people. As clear as possible because uh, it's like a conversation like you were saying. I mean, I wouldn't be called Talk Story with Gavin Sagai if I wouldn't talk story with other people. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> right, right. It just
0: makes sense, yeah. Um, so one topic that was brought up by uh, Sterling Higa from Honolulu Civil Beat, he's someone that um, follows me on, on here, but he, he actually said this on one of my friends' podcasts, um, and he said that... The electoral process does not favor executives such as like maybe Andrew yang or in some extent maybe Rick Blangiardi. um Do you think that the campaigning process or even the electoral processes should change? do you think it should change in a in a way
1: I mean it's like the way that it, it goes So much room for error. Sorry, is it going out again?
0: Yeah, it's going out <laughs> but Is it okay it's now? It's it's yeah, I can I can hear you. It's good. I yeah. think so.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think that the electoral process now has a lot of room for error and there's a lot of people that think if we would just change things that it would get better. But mm. I don't necessarily think that by just changing things that it gets better because our office of elections is, it just needs to be overhauled. I mean, we've had um, a similar director that's been in charge for years and maybe the efficiencies within the actual department itself need to change and not just change the process. So I, I do think that there are weaknesses to the way that it's handled now, but at the same in the same light, you can at least understand those weaknesses and try to work around it. I think it's like anything else, right? Like the game of football, could we cut out timeouts? Could we stop commercial breaks? Could we train wide you know, receivers better? Like there's all these things you could do to manipulate the game, mm. but you still have to play the game and work around all the deficiencies, right? The refs, the whatever. And it's the same thing with politics. There's all kinds of deficiencies in the process and you have to mitigate you have to mitigate around all those ballots <laughs> like, and they ran out of registration papers so <laughs> you know those those are things that I can't do anything about and I have to mitigate around it right
0: mm-hmm. Definitely interesting answer that's good um so lastly before we end off uh, what does talk story mean to you it's a it's a question I've been asking my guests recently
1: just the phrase, talk story.
0: Yes, just the phrase, talk story.
1: <laughs> well, I'm a huge fan of storytelling. I feel like understand.
0: Oh, sorry, it's Cody God again.
1: <laughs> Any story telling your own?
0: Oh, oh, I think it's, I think it's coming back now. Let me see
1: sorry is it better now
0: um audio wise it's better
1: <laughs> oh is the picture still freezing
0: it's it's uh it's lagging in and out how is better. it now still lagging but the audio i think is good okay maybe it's clearing up a little bit
1: sorry can you hear me now hmm okay I'll, I'll try to answer the question thank you for your patience I think um, for me, the word, I'm, I'm a fan of storytelling, so I feel like hearing people's story, telling my story, living your story, all of that is so important to who we are, and uh, it's a big part of what I do on my social media platforms. So for me, to talk story, it means something a little deeper than to just conversate. Because when you talk story, you really want to hear where someone's coming from. You want to hear their story. Like, who's their family? What are they about? So I love the phrase talk story. And I'm so grateful that you do these podcasts in such a way that makes people feel comfortable to just tell their story.
0: Mm. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) And um, Angel, before we go, um, thank you for coming on the show. Do you have a place where people can find out more about you?
1: Yes, you can go to tupollaforcouncil.com and actually there's a whole bunch of FAQ videos on there if you have any questions about this new election process. So it's tupollaforcouncil.com backslash vote by mail if you want to go straight to the FAQs. But anything you want to know about me, you can find there or you can follow me on social media.
0: Awesome. Thank you again, Andrea, for coming on the show and I, I tell everybody. I always get starstruck when I um, when I talk to you because I'm just like I'm still blown away that I I talk to you one on one like this. It's it's still crazy to me. <laughs> oh, thanks,
1: thanks, Gavin. Well, it's great to meet you. I'm glad we did the Monica um, video together, and now we can do future podcasts together.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. Good luck on your campaign, and uh, guys, if you guys are listening to this, please vote. Make sure you register to vote, uh, especially. Andrea has a link on her um in her bio where you can register to vote online. And it's so important that you guys get out there and vote because it's a very important time uh this year for for Hawaii. So please guys, uh vote, take care, stay blessed. Thanks again for
1: watching.